Okay, I'd like everybody just to stand as I read God's word. Please stand for a moment. Psalm 95, 1 through 7 says this. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, let us bow our heads. Lord Jesus, as you've allowed me to reflect upon these words, as we, as a church, listens to the voice of you through me, Lord, just let us remember these words, that it is a thanksgiving of worship, as the sermon title puts it. Lord, just strengthen us, enrich us, be with us, in your holy name, amen. You may be seated. Psalm 95 clearly fits into the category of a psalm of worship. That's why the sermon title is called A Thanksgiving of Worship. John Stott, a great preacher and theologian, said it this way. True worship is the highest and noblest activity of which man, by the grace of God, is capable to participate in. This is clearly the privilege being enjoined in this passage. Though the setting of this psalm is unknown, this psalm fits perfectly emphasizing the reign of Jehovah. Most probably, like Psalm 94, It was written after years of Babylonian exile. The promise of Jeremiah 29, 11 rang out as they proclaimed it. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. You see, in this psalm, the Lord proved faithful to his word, and now they were back in the promised land. Perhaps at this point, they were once again worshiping at the rebuilt temple. As the day of worship approached, you could hear heralds cry out, Oh, come, all you faithful. Come with your hearts, minds, and wills. And be sure to bring your voices. You see, God's people are here being summoned 
to celebrate, to show adoration, to show that they had been restored. And what was so necessary for them has not changed one bit for us under the new covenant. We too need to come and worship. But as in this psalm, the only ones who can truly answer this call are the faithful. May our study of this psalm equip us to faithfully answer this call to worship. One of my favorite authors, and I'm not much of a reader and what wasn't, but he really hit, and I took a theology class in C.S. Lewis, offers a helpful observation about this psalm. Let me read it to you. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise is not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. It is an appointed consummation. That's what worship is. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another they love each other. The delight is incomplete unless expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he or she is. Or we've all had our travels through the beauty of what is the United States. How about if we turn the corner and all Obviously, we see the mountain valley of Granyard, the Rockies, Mount Rushmore, the Shenandoah River Valley. And then we have to keep silent because everybody else in our car doesn't have the same joy. They think it's more like a tin can in the ditch. Or to hear a good joke. And find no one to share it with. You know, I think Lewis was right when he spoke about how our delight in the Lord is incomplete unless we express it. Today, we will examine some ways in which such worship, worship which completes the enjoyment of our relationship with God should be expressed. Such worship is going to be expressed in two ways in this passage. Number one, we need to worship through rejoicing. And secondly, we need to worship through reverence. Worship through rejoicing and worship rejoicing. First, I'm going to talk about the way we rejoice, and then I will talk about why we should rejoice. Let's begin with, in the psalmist says, the way of rejoicing. David states the way to rejoice in verses 1 and 2. 
Let me read those two again. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. You see, here in this passage, David stresses singing and shouting. How? Joyfully. And he says to do that with thanksgiving for God who has given us our salvation. So, let me dissect this verses. The first way we are to rejoice, well, let's look at verse 1. Let us sing to the Lord. The psalmist first mentions honoring God with song, and he says to do it in a community. I know that singing is not the only way to give honor and worship to God. But I really believe it's one of the chief and most important ways that we can worship God. But let us look a little bit closer to that verse. The exhortation is not you sing or I sing, but what does it say? Let us That should be done with the community of God's people. The invocation to praise in Psalm 95, 1 through 2, gives a striking picture of what must have been those Jews as they came back to the promised land. And they saw shrill cries of gladness. They saw loud shouts of praise. They saw songs with musical instruments. They rang simultaneously to the courts. You see, singing expresses human thought emotionally. And Christianity needs, in some way, shape, or form, needs to be a feeling relationship. Now, let's all not be alarmed here, okay? I'm not saying our commitment to Christ is all emotions. But more particularly, singing should express joy. And the Bible's religion at its heart is joyful. Yet, I'm afraid at times our heart doesn't do that. You know, it says, let us sing who? To the Lord. Spurgeon said it this way. It is feared that very much even of religious singing is not unto the Lord, but unto the ear of the congregation. Let me say that again, because I don't think, you know, the first time I read it, I didn't believe it. It is to be feared that very much even of our singing here is not unto the Lord, but it's to the ear of the congregation. We want to put a show on. Above all things, we must in our service of song take care that all we offer 
is with the heart's sincerest and most fervent intent. Let us sing where? To the Lord. Secondly, not only are we to sing to the Lord, but he even gets a little more specific, right? I like this. Let us, because I'm not a quiet person, okay? Let us shout joyfully to the Lord, okay? God should be honored with a happy, enthusiastic heart, okay? There is, I know, a place for somber and reflecting mood in worship. But I really believe it shouldn't be the dominant tone. God's people have much to shout joyfully about, so why don't we? Before making ourselves small before him, we need to greet him here with unashamed enthusiasm because he is our refuge and our strength. It is a part of Christian duty and certainly of Christian wisdom to try to catch that tone of joy in worship. Why do we shout joyfully to the Lord? Well, look at the verse. It says, because he is the rock of our salvation. Now, everybody's going to say, you want me to share that right now? Hold on. I'll get to that when I get to the why. Okay? Let us sing. Let us shout. And finally, the way we are to show worship by rejoicing is, it says, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. This is the Thanksgiving season. This means that worship should be done with a conscious sense of God's presence. God's people don't sing or shouldn't sing into an empty space. He is in their presence and they are in his presence. There is or should be a, when we come into church and we get our hearts ready for worship, there should be a true connection between God and his people in worship. His presence doesn't mean God in the Holy of Holies. Okay. The Jewish people knew that. But the Jewish people rightly understood what it meant to be in the presence of God Almighty. How should we come into his presence? Well, there's a nice prepositional phrase, right? It doesn't leave us, let us come into his presence. It tells us with that prepositional phrase, with thanksgiving. Our worship should express a heart of thanksgiving to our God who has done so much for us. Spurgeon again said this, we are permitted to bring our petitions and therefore we are in honor bound to bring our thanksgivings. You see, thanksgiving and praise are to be a major element 
of our singing. You know, we need to not forget the old hymns, count your many blessings. The song we sang today, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Just look at the old hymnal sometime and see how many old hymns reminded us of that. It is possible to give thanks and praise God individually, okay? And we should do that. But, it's, but singing is something we can do together. Side note here, okay? I know some of us don't think we can sing. It doesn't, you know, okay. It doesn't say, it says, you know, Make a joyful noise, okay? <laughs> okay? So through the ages, the believers in God, both the Old and New Testament, have sung their praises and thanksgiving. This is of ultimate importance. It is the reason we should be careful not to sing in a sullen manner. There's no, I want you to hear this. There is nothing more conducive to dullness in a service than half-hearted singing. Okay? We've all been to churches that just, you know, you come out of the worship service and you're going, oh, okay, where have I been? The exhortation here is most appropriate. Let us come in his presence with what? Thanksgiving. It is a call to bring praise vocally, loudly, and heartily to God. The psalmist writes of singing to Yahweh, of shouting joyfully, of coming with thanksgiving, and of shouting joyfully. Worship needs to be purposeful. The focus as we walk into this service should be to the Lord. In summary, to the way we are to worship, this call to worship involves the heart. It is our loving response to God. To come singing into God's presence is not the only way, but it is the way that best expresses love. We greet him here with unashamed enthusiasm as our refuge and our rescuer. We address one another to make sure that we rise to the occasion, not drifting into his courts preoccupied or apathetic. When we come to worship God, which is hopefully why we come, we must beware the danger of simply going through the motions. Our celebration is motivated by our salvation. That is, we really do have something to rejoice in. We should hear and heed the call to come and worship. Come and rejoice. If you don't believe that, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. In that verse, it, only, it doesn't say it just one time. Let me read it to you. Rejoice in the Lord Always, and again, 
If you didn't hear it the first time, you know, people like me has to go in and out one ear. And again, I say rejoice. So, that's how we show worship to rejoicing. But, you know, one thing that I've learned from all my 40 years plus of teaching is if you tell your students, here's what we are to do, and you don't give them the why, there's no depth. So, why should we rejoice? Well, let's go back to verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully, here it is, to the rock of our salvation. We should rejoice in the Lord because he, as the rock of our salvation, is the foundation and assurance of our salvation. Spurgeon, who I love, you can see, said it this way. Christ is our um, abiding, immutable, and mighty rock. And in him we find deliverance and safety. Therefore, it becomes us to praise him with heart and with voice from day to day. And especially should we be delight to do this when we assemble as people for public worship. We who have hidden in that rock. You know, great hymn, Rock of Ages. Left of the rock. We who have hidden that rock can truly praise him. So I ask you a few questions. If Christ is the rock of our salvation, who has given you living water for your soul, should we not come before him with great joy and thanksgiving? Are you experiencing difficult circumstances? Are you downcast or in distress? then it's my prayer that God fill you with his spirit so that you may speak, as it says in Ephesians 5.18, that we can speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart, again, to the, to the Lord. The next time, and I know there will be a next time because I can probably next time in the next few hours. When you're tempted to grumble or you feel downcast, determine, enabled by the Spirit's inner strength of your soul, to sing a psalm of praise to the rock of your salvation. It is one of the best ways to experience calm and contentment when life seems bleak. And circumstances seem to be on top of you. So, figuratively in our heart. I know we'd like to sing right now, okay? So let us, you know, figuratively in our heart, let us sing this great old Maranatha chorus, okay? The title is called Rock of My Salvation. I'm just going to give you a few words here. You are the rock of my salvation. You are the strength of of my life. You are my hope and my inspiration, Lord, until you will I cry. I believe in you, believe in you, for your faithful love to me. You have been my help in time of need 
Lord, unto you will I cleave. So the first reason that we are to rejoice is because he is the rock of our salvation. But if you go on in verses 3 and 4, we should also rejoice in the Lord because he alone, no, he alone is our great God. He alone is the great king who is greater than any God men may imagine or invent. Understanding the greatness of God helps us to properly worship him. Most everyone, okay, I haven't found too many other people. Most everyone has some sense of awe or appreciation when greatness comes our way, okay? We see the Queen of England, or we see something. That's natural. It is even more natural and appropriate for us to deeply regard Yahweh as the great God and the great, great king above all governments. Adam Clark, in his commentators, said this about Psalm 95.3. The supreme being has three names, El, Jehovah, Elohim. Just in that verse, just in that one verse. The first implies his strength. Excuse me. (coughs) The first implies his strength. The second, his being in essence. The third, his covenant relationship to mankind. God's greatness is pictured metaphorically as his holding the whole world in his hands. It is a way of emphasizing that all the earth is under his sovereign control. One of the song writers when I was in college uh, that I love, his name is Carol Robertson. It's a name that probably not very many of us have ever heard of. But I want to read his song about the hands of God. It says, one pair of hands formed the mountains, one pair of hands formed the sea, one pair of hands made the sun and the moon, every bird, every flower, every tree, one pair of hands formed the valleys, the ocean, the rivers, and the sand. Those hands are so strong, so when life goes wrong, put your faith in the one pair of hands. One pair of hands healed the sick. One pair of hands raised the dead. One pair of hands calmed the raging storm and thousands of people were fed. One pair of hands said, I love you. And those hands were nailed to a tree. Those hands are so strong. So when life goes wrong, put your faith into one pair of hands. Those hands are so strong. So when life goes wrong, Put your faith into one pair of hands. You see, not only does he hold the whole world in his hand, but his hands, as the passage says, has created the world. 
Here David refers to the whole world by speaking of God as the maker of both the land and the sea. Thus, David teaches us that our worship should be expressed through rejoicing in the fact that we get to know the one true God of the universe who gave us our salvation. He teaches us that we should be thankful that he made us, that he has saved us, and that he is ultimately in control of all things, for all things are in his hands. So, first of all, how are we to present a thanksgiving of worship? Well, by worshiping through rejoicing. It says, let us sing, let us shout, let us come before his presence. And why do we do that? Because he is the rock of our salvation, and he alone is our great God. Secondly, we are to worship through reverence. Again, as I did in the previous section, I'm going to look at the way we show reverence, and then I'm going to talk about the why. David speaks, and we're in verses 5, 6, and 7. David speaks about the way we should show reverence in verse 6. Oh, I like this again, okay? You, you notice how many invitations there are in this passage? Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I like it. Oh, come. There's a sweet sense of emphasis in those words. There is a gentle plea here. Telling us as readers that we need to join him. Here David uses two terms that describe humbling ourselves before God. Of how we are to show reverence. He speaks of bowing down and of kneeling. Thus the essence of reverence for God is being humble before him. So let's just take a little peek at those two words. Number one, let us worship by bowing down. Notice what the first two words, is this an individual job? No, it isn't, okay? Let us, again, the ideal of community, But this time it adds a sense of humility. We're to bow down. The ideal behind the Hebrew word worship, okay? And again, the word worship. Just look up the word worship, okay? That literally, the word worship means to prostrate yourself before God, okay? That's why he adds, that's why bowing down is so important here. The ideal... The Hebrew word worship is essential to bow down. The thought is emphasized and given more intensity because of reputation, right? You notice the Lord just keeps on repeating things, okay? Probably because like me, we're, we've got hard heads. In his presence, man, and, and we already know that we're supposed to come into his presence with what? Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving okay? 
So we already, he's already established that. So when we come to his presence, man must bow down before him. Man must kneel in the attitude of complete submission. This is a truth of which we need to remind ourselves. Spurgeon equates rejoicing with reverence this way. It is not always easy to unite enthusiasm with reverence. And it is frequent fault to destroy one of these qualities while straining after the other. Okay? That's that balance. Okay? Some of us are not very good at balancing things. So let us worship by bowing down. Secondly, it says, let us kneel before our Lord, our maker. In the previous verses, the psalmist spoke of God's mastery over all creation. Now he includes humanity itself among God's creation. We owe humble worship to God because he made us. Matt did such a wonderful job last week. Worship is an obligation that the creature owes to the creator. The following illustration may help drive home this point. So let's hear this illustration. There were a bunch of noblemen gathered in London waiting for the king of Great Britain. They all knew him personally, yet they all honored him as their king. When he entered, they stood solemnly to their feet. The king said, take your seats, gentlemen. And then he said, I count you as my personal friends. And then joking, he added, I'm not the Lord, you know. Immediately, one of the noblemen, a Christian, said this, No, sir, if you were our Lord, we would not have stood to our feet. We would have fallen to our knees. The illustration shows a grasp of the sense of reverence that should characterize our worship. My question is, does it? We should realize when we worship God that we are in the presence of the sovereign king of all the universe. And this realization (coughs) ought to humble us in a way that affects our actions. The two main verbs in Psalm 95.6 are connected with being low and humbling ourselves before the Lord. Two distinct words are used here to express two different acts of adoration. Let us bow down. That means to crouch or cower down. Let us kneel. Let us put our knees to the ground in a posture of supplication. Here are the ways to worship through reverence. Humbling ourselves to the Lord by bowing and kneeling before his presence. But again, the way doesn't make sense unless we have a why. So why should we show reverence? Well, David speaks about this in the final verse of this passage, verse 7. Let me remind you of verse 7. 
for he is our God. Again. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. First, David emphasizes the powerful truth that the great God of whom he has just spoken is also our God. What a true humbling realization this is. The God who reigns supreme over all the universe is our God. Yahweh is also worthy of our humble worship because he is our God. The ancient Hebrews had a bunch of choices of gods. And it was a deliberate act of allegiance when in their minds they said, Yahweh is my true God. This God who has made such a divine and wonderful revelation of himself, his being and mind, his will and heart, in his word is our God. In other words, the God of the Bible is ours. All that that inspired and precious volume declares concerning him, all the thoughts of his mind it reveals, all the love of his nature it makes known, all the teaching of his spirit, all the precious promises in the Bible, all the gracious invitationals that it says to come, all the glorious hopes it contains are ours. Because the God of the Bible can be ours. That's why we worship him through reverence. I belong to him and he belongs to me. Second, we worship because David describes us as the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. You see... We show reverence. Here God is described as a shepherd who looks after his flock. So just in brief, and let me just remind you of something about the shepherd to sheep relationship. Well, first of all, we know a shepherd is a kind-hearted and compassionate, right? Mark 6.34 says this, And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like a sheep not having a shepherd. Whenever Jesus sees the lost, he sees a lost sheep without a shepherd, it says he's filled with compassion. One definition of compassion I found literally means to suffer together. So you see, when we are hurting, Jesus hurts as well. A shepherd always assures protection. John 10.28 says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Jesus Christ is our refuge, and he offers protection against any outside influence. A shepherd is a good leader that guides the flock. Psalm 32.8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Jesus is the greatest leader of all time. He is our light and our guide. He saves the lost. He redirects their paths. 
He gives us the Holy Spirit. Without him, it's just darkness. A shepherd is also a watch for safety. Luke 23, 34 says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus here acknowledged that some people are oblivious to the gospel. But as you see, he doesn't condemn. Rather, he gives us grace that we can be transformed. He's our shepherd. You know, I don't have to remind us how dumb sheep are, okay? I remember one summer working in my pastor's father's farm. They're dumb, okay? Okay. But what I want you to also notice is, here's reputation again, okay? One thing you're going to learn about Psalm 95, it repeats, it repeats, it repeats. How many times did you see the word hand? Okay. In verse 4, David described God as the one who holds the whole world in his hand. Verse 5, he described God as the one who made the whole world in his hand. Now he commutes the very humbling thought that God is a shepherd who holds each one of us in his hand. When I read that, I'm reminded of John 10, 27 through 29. Okay, if you don't know that, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. You see, this helps us even further, I think, to see why we should express worship to reverence. In closing, let us look at this thanksgiving or worship. We are first to worship with rejoicing. Right? How are we to do that? Through singing, through shouting, through coming before his presence. Secondly, we are to worship through reverence. Reverencing our Lord by bowing and kneeling in a humble attitude. That's the ultimate form of reverence. But if you're going to get anything out of this message, I just want you to get the next few lines. You can just ignore everything else that I've said. Because ultimately... The bottom line, okay? My students always said, and what's the bottom line, okay? The bottom line here is that the primary reason to worship the Lord is our relationship to him. Not only is the Lord the Lord, not only is he our maker, as a previous verse reminds us, but he is my Lord, our God. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are the people of his hand. This verse is pointed, and I'm going to try to get through here. Psalm 23. I read this about a week and a half ago in my mom's service. 
but it's so applicable to what we're doing today. We all know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay, I, I want you to, when I read this, you're going to notice there's an emphasis here, okay? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pasture. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Suffice it to say that we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why? That we should show forth the praises of him who hath called us by worshiping him through rejoicing, through reverence. This is the thanksgiving of worship. Rejoice. Revere the Lord because he is our God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, oh, we serve an awesome God. We serve a God who is everything. And as we wrap up this worship service, let us continually sing and shout and come into your presence with thanksgiving. Let us continually to bow and to kneel in reverence to you because truly we can make you our personal God, Lord. You are our God. It's like Thomas said, my God and my Lord. Lord, just be with us as we continue this worship in Jesus' most holy name. Amen.